John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. accessed entry 593.jb2607 certificate number Where is hell? Uh, I thought it was Butte, Montana. No, that's where <laughs> that's that, where God puts in an enema. Isn't that canon? <laughs> it's true that God would not put an enema in hell. No. He doesn't want them to feel better. No, he does not. He, he does want, not want to cleanse hell. No, that's not his thing at all. With a rose-tinted flush. So in most traditions, the land of the dead is literally the underworld. Like to the Greeks, Tartarus was a pit. Right. Like that's how they could imagine. And maybe it's just because that's where bodies end up going. They're in the ground already, therefore. And, you know, since Dante, I think we've literally imagined that hell might have a gate, you know, leading into some kind of subterraneous cabin. It probably has some idea that we associate God with the heavens. Where does that leave for the other guy? Right. If there's Down. A, a hell below, we're all going to go. There's not a lot of scriptural basis for this. Well, that's what's so confusing, right? I mean, uh, we all think of, I think in, at least in West, we picture hell, even if it's a cartoonish picture, we picture it being under the ground, right? It's caverns, it's Dante's version, flames coming up, stalactites, stalactites and, and stalagmites. stalagmites and, and I wonder if a lot of this does, does come from um, volcanology, you know, the, uh, the ancient Greeks thought that Hephaestus's forge must be in Mount Etna and that a monster must be squished under, you know, when they saw a volcano, they were like, whoa, like fire rock. Right. Pretty impressive. Something bad's got to be going on there. But there are traditions in almost all cultures of the realm of the dead or the realm of, um, of an underworld realm accessible by cave or hole in the ground or a secret passage. It's almost a universal truism that a culture will have a tradition of thinking of under the earth, a subsurface realm. I, I just want to say that this is a little iffy in the Bible, though. The, well, sure. The scripture that often gets used, Second Peter 2, 4, uh, is often translated as cast down into hell. And there you go. It's down. Down. But the trans- doesn't really say through a hole into an evil realm of 
darkness. Also, the translation is sketchy. Like all in the Greek, it just says cast into Tartarus. So, you know, cast into hell, thrown, you know, it's, it's got an in and out, but not an up and a down. And in Ephesians 4, 9, where uh, Paul, or the author of Ephesians, traditionally Paul says, now this expression, he ascended, I guess, Jesus, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? Right. Although Jesus was ascending from the cave or his his grave, right? Right. So that could refer to just the fact that the dead are in the grave. So resurrection is a return up. It doesn't necessarily mean that the damned are down there. When the, in the, and the Christian tradition is so fraught because so much of these are translations from the Greek. And in a lot of cases, ideas that started in the Old Testament that were then sort of ported into the New Testament and then again ported into Latin and then into English. There were three different terms for the underworld, I guess, in Hebrew that were then translated into Greek and then all at one point or another just subsumed Converged. into the word hell. and Just in time for meatloaf albums. Right. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Hebrews do not think of hell as a place necessarily where you go to live in eternal torment. It's really more of an uh, more of a the idea of a place where there is nothing, nothing. It's like an airport. It's like a uh, yeah. It's not even a purgatory. It's just kind of a. Is it non existence? Are you aware? Is this Sheol? Is that what? It's Sheol. Yeah. Um, so the the idea of Sheol is that within the Hebrew tradition was that everyone went there, righteous and wicked, all went to a place of. Oh, it's not the airport. It's the DMV. It's <laughs> right. It's a yeah. It's not the airport, but it is the public library, right? Or it's like mm. the Seattle Public Library. You have to go there at some point and figure out its complicated system of not just how to check out a book, but how to look at any media or where the bathrooms are. It's it is a bleak place. Right? It's not a... Um, Here's Ecclesiastes. Those who die know nothing. There is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom. Right. But also no God. No, it's not a place of calm. It's a place of sort of trembling. Wait, uh, so what happens? And then you get, if you're saved, then you get redeemed from there to, well, to, to, to Yahweh? So these are the Jews. So there isn't a saved exactly, but... Uh, Sorry, uh, ascended. <laughs> right. The believers, the, the good... Um, yeah, when does God get his people back? He does, there is life after death, right? There is a resurrection of, of the righteous. And then the, you know, the wicked sort of remain in this place, which is a place of nothingness. Now, the Christians kind of converted that into a notion that the righteous went immediately to a place of new life. The right hand of God. Yeah, rather than transiting through this nothing place, although the Catholics had their purgatory. It's a nonstop flight in, in Christian theology. That's right. If, well, if you, if you bought the first class ticket by your belief, well, I don't yeah. mean to tell you about it. <laughs> right. I'm not in coach. <laughs> I'm not in spiritual economy class, John. I'm not going to be lectured to by you. <laughs> I know you're up there in economy comfort, hoping for an upgrade. Economy comfort is purgatory. But, uh, but a lot of the iconography of the Christian hell is potentially derived from a place called the Valley of Hinnom in Jerusalem, which was a kind of trash dump. They have an actual place that's the most hell-like, just like we have Nevada? Uh, it was actually like a, a landfill hmm. where they would throw... It's like Jersey. Toxic waste. Yeah, right. It's like the Pine Barrens. Um, <laughs> it was just a dumping ground. But also, if you were not... If you were a wicked 
person in Jerusalem who wasn't tended to by by a flock at your death, your body was just thrown onto this trash heap. It was also a potter's field or, or, or pauper's graveyard. Right, where fires were continually burning. It was kind of just a like a smoke-shrouded, and it was... Uh, I it, love the idea that some real place inspired hell. Yeah. Like, that should be the tourist thing, like... You've heard about hell. Well, come to the real thing. <laughs> I don't think it's still on fire, although pl- parts of Jerusalem are still on fire, but I don't think uh, Gehenna or whatever. So the, the term in the Bible, Gehenna, mm-hmm. was referring to this valley of Hinnom, and then over time it, it just became synonymous with hell. Do you think that happened elsewhere in the Bible? Like there was actually just some nice guy that everybody everybody's talking about. You know who's great? God. You know, yeah. And he, and he's just some guy they work with. Like he's like the really nice donkey herder or whatever. And finally there's whole books about him and uh it was a it was a situation where Judas actually was like Jesus's right-hand guy, but there was some kind of screw up in the translation from Greek. Well, uh, nobody likes the assistant to the manager, you know? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> he was the assistant to the regional manager. That explains the whole thing right there. <laughs> Um, the spiritual, the supernatural component of the underworld sort of predominated our idea of it. And like you mentioned before, the Greeks, um, the Greek Lord of the underworld was Hades, who was, you know, one of the three gods, Zeus, Poseidon, and Hades, uh, Hades, and they split up the world, right? He's got the goth, like he chose like the dark underground. Oh no, this was, they, they chose by lots. Oh, so he got to pick last. Yeah. He, he, well, it was just an act, you know, it was a, it was, he drew the short straw. In some parallel world, he got the ocean or whatever. No wonder he's pissed. So yeah, Poseidon gets the oceans, right? Zeus gets the sky. Hades gets the underworld. He's not super glad about it, but in, we think of Hades as being kind of grumpy. The Greeks had a different idea. It wasn't, uh, Hades wasn't, he was maybe dissatisfied with the choice, but he was mostly, it was mostly a benign existence. Hades was a stern God, but not, not an evil one. He was always, he, you know, he kidnapped another goddess to be his wife, but um, they let him keep her on a technicality. Like right. Perse- well, Persephone got to spend part of the year down there. Um, it's like a, you know, custody agreement. And that story, the story of kidnapping Persephone really colored our f- later perception of whether or not Hades was a good dude. You kidnap one <laughs> goddess and that's all they talk about. But by the time the Greek story of Hades got translated into the Roman story of Pluto, Pluto and Persephone, their story was that they came together out of mutual love. Pluto was not the the bad kidnapper that Hades was. Pluto, you know... And the other thing about subterranean ground is that it was full of wealth, you know, in the, in the uh, eyes of the ancients. That's where all the good stuff was, gold and jewels. So the earth, you know, underground had its upside. It was right. full of valuable things. And Pluto was a god of wealth in addition to being the god of the dead. Because those are the two things that are in the ground, I guess, jewels and corpses. And the, the fact that the word Hades became synonymous, not just with the, uh, Hades was the name of the god, but it became... Uh, synonymous with the idea of the underworld or of hell the place was again a kind of translation. Uh, sure, people would say the land morph. of ha- the land of Hades, right. meaning his spot, and it became Hades is is hell. I would like that to happen to my neighborhood too. Actually, you know that I've I've lived there, and it becomes the kingdom of Ken. 
Oh, sure. And then people are like, oh, I send you to Ken. <laughs> what the Ken <laughs> you is going on here? This is like <laughs> Ken on earth. And then my, my daughter would be like, stop saying Ken. <laughs> it's a swear. You're going to Ken in a handbasket. Uh, so this notion of hell, like we, I was surprised when I learned that hell was not actually a place referred to extensively in the Bible. I mean, I didn't grow up in a church tradition where I was, where the Bible was a piece of literature we were interacting with all the time. But you were playing D&D, so you're going to end up there eventually. Well, for sure. I'm going to end up in uh, in Hades. I'm, Hades and I are going to be hanging out mining gold and silver <laughs> for a lot of reasons other than just that I played D&D for six months. That's probably mostly the D&D, I'm going to be honest. But it was, um, as the as the world kind of moved toward the Enlightenment, you know, Dante told his story of the nine concentric circles of hell as a literary device rather than a sure. religious one. The people get worse. It's a way to separate different kinds of sins. Ooh, adulterers. And then the next section, oh, forgers or whatever. And it was really Augustine that kind of took away the notion that hell could be a kind of neutral or benign underworld and located it as a place where souls actually went to, to writhe in torment. There's punishment. Right. So Dante, he created a lot of the iconography of hell, or he created the, the picture of it in our minds. But really, that was a transition to a more literary device rather than describing an actual sort of religious notion of it. Uh, and as the Enlightenment progressed, there were now, we had the ability to use both reason and scientific observation to start to understand that probably heaven wasn't in the clouds and hell was not actually under the lowest mine. Well, the, yeah, the ground is pretty impassable, you know, like how do you really know what's going on under there? There's a few caves and a few mines, but, but by definition, it's a mystery down there, right? Well, it's a mystery. And also, I mean, there are, um, to to the ancients, as you said, like anytime steam is escaping from the ground, you, you're naturally going to think that Mo there's a dragon. Monsters. Yeah, something bad. As we started to progress into an age of science and it was clear that hell wasn't there, it still wasn't clear what was there. And scientific instruments in the age of Newton gave us a lot of conflicting information. The magnetic pole being a, an example of something that was measurable, but that conflicted with, with other measurements or with, um, you know, Yeah, the magnetic pole is perception. not the geographic pole. And that made a lot of people start thinking, you yeah, know, what's what, going on? What, what makes these magnetic fields and why do they not align with the actual sphere and how it rotates? Sure. What could account for it and what, uh, and we were still also in an, an age of the imagination and no less a figure than Edmund Halley, the comet guy. The great scholar and uh, and royal astronomer. Comet guy. Comet guy, we can call him. At a, at a certain point in the middle of his career, when he was the most eminent scientist or astronomer in England. He's there, Einstein or Hawking or Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. He's uh, the guy who's, you know, who says the opinion. He starts to venture the idea that one way to account for the magnetic pole was that there were concentric Earths within Earth spinning at different rotations, uh, creating magnetic fields and, uh, creating like escaping gas that might account for the Aurora Borealis. He loved the idea that this would, uh, you know, people loved to find harmonies and unifying things, you know, Newton the thought music that, of the sphere, right. Newton thought there should be seven colors. Like we still have Roy G. Biv because Newton thought there should be seven colors. Cause that, cause that would match you know, the seven notes up to the next octave and the seven known 
celestial bodies. And in this case, Halley, you know, saw Mercury and Venus and Earth orbiting, and he's like, ah, there must be similar orbits under the ground. What a great harmony is in the universe. And it's fantastic to me to think that you could, during this period, be both observing the natural world and making actual like scientific observations, but also come up with something like this in a dream and posit it as an answer to, I mean, that there, he would not have been able to. Yeah. What experiment would help him? Yeah. There's, there's nothing that could have accounted for this theory other than just that he was doodling one day and. He literally does in his official portrait as Royal Astronomer, he's holding a little piece of paper that shows the earth with three concentric circles in it. Cause that's like his thing. Yeah. I'm the guy, like he didn't know he was going to be comic guy. Like I'm the guy who knows there's three separate earths rotating inside our earth. That's right. He didn't know he was going to be the comet guy because the comet he predicted didn't return to earth until after he died. So he never actually saw the faint, his fame from his comet prediction. Yeah. Don't predict. Actually, that's good. Always predict things with, you know, some kind of 80 year period like that, because very hard to be, (laughs) you won't be there when you're proven wrong. Wait till the 80 year cicadas come back and they're all called Roderick's. The Roderick cicadas. I mean, we're thinking about, when we do this show, we're thinking about the future. We want to make sure our legacy is assured. But honestly, for Hallie, it's just more important to not be proved wrong during your life because it's embarrassing at parties. Well, and his concentric inner earth theory was not widely embraced at the time, but neither was it entirely ridiculed. Like you say, he was an eminent scientist. Um, No way to disprove it. No way to disprove it, but no way to prove it. So it lay somewhat dormant for a couple hundred years until uh, a man, an American named John Cleve Sims Jr., who was a, a successful military officer, after his retirement from the army, similarly conceived of the idea of a hollow earth. He claimed he was unaware of the work of Edmund Halley or the earlier theory, but Sims had a, a much more elaborate theory of a hollow earth. It was... And he introduces the key element, which is there's an entrance. There's an entrance, right? right. Like Halley wasn't super invested in how are we going to explore the hollow earth? But Sims is like, we got to get, we got to get down there. Well, and so this is happening in 1818 when the North Pole is still terra incognita, right? Uh, Robert Perry explored, arrived at the North Pole, not until 1909. So... The North Pole was was extremely mysterious. And and they're combining kind of the mystery of what's under the earth with what's up north. What's up north. And wouldn't it be beautiful if it was the same answer to both questions? And they're not, at this point, like it is the age of science. People are not speculating that there are devils inside the earth. But what if there was a utopia? There's a, um, within the Indian tradition, there's a place called Shambhala, which is like a utopian city inside the earth, a kind of, it's maybe at the source of the myth of Shangri-La. And uh, Shambhala was brought back to the West uh, sort of over time by different Western explorers as this idea of a kind of paradise inside the earth. And so there were other ideas of, of what could be lurking beneath the surface kind of floating around. And with the cosmology of the time, not a lot of places to set science fiction, right? I mean, you have certain writers talking about trips to the sun or the moon. Those are two places where you could imagine weird other alien societies, not like ours, Cyrano de Bergerac going to the moon. But a very tempting one would be 
the ground beneath your feet. Who knows what's going on there? So science fiction was sort of a late, later 19th century. Um, right. After Sims, you get Jules Verne and Edward Bulwer-Lytton writing about utopias that might be in the earth. But Sims thought it was real. When it comes to meat, quality makes a huge difference in texture and taste. And even though it might be better for you and the environment, a lot of the higher quality meat you find at the grocery store is just too expensive for most people's budget. Thankfully, there's ButcherBox. ButcherBox believes everyone deserves access to high-quality, humanely sourced meat at an affordable price. That's why each month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of the finest cuts right to your home. Choose from 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, heritage pork, wild-caught Alaskan salmon, and sugar and nitrate-free bacon. No antibiotics, no added hormones, just meat the way meat should be. And right now, you can get two pounds of ground beef and two packs of bacon absolutely free plus twenty dollars off your first box when you visit butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout that's butcherbox.com slash iheart or use the promo code iheart at checkout sims really thought it was real again based on no evidence or, uh, or, or, expert, any or expertise, expertise or any other tradition, but he perceived a, a hole in the North pole, a giant hole. The earth's crust was a thousand kilometers thick. And at, at the pole, there was a, an opening. His at, opening is like 12 to 16 degrees. Right. Which would be huge. Enormous. And so big, in fact, that you could walk along the surface of the earth and make the transition go over the horizon and then continue over into the inner earth and not have noticed the not have noticed the change. This seems to have a very spotty idea of how gravity would work. Well, here's the problem with all hollow earth theories is that gravity is ultimately the deciding factor on whether or not it's possible. And unfortunately, spoiler alert, I don't want to like break the rest of this story. Everybody's waiting to hear if this is true or not. Uh, But gravity would not permit you to have a, a entity as large as the earth and have it be hollow. It would collapse upon itself. But, uh, uh, but gravity is, at the, at the time, still sort of incompletely understood, as it is to this day. I think futurelings are listening and probably thinking how hilarious it is that we have so little actual fundamental knowledge of what gravity is. You know, one of the workarounds you could make, and I hope this isn't jumping ahead, to the problem of gravity is to assume that although we know what the mass of the Earth must be by measuring gravity and so on, whether you do that with the acceleration of a falling object or a torsion balance or whatever you do, that says nothing about how the gravity is distributed, how the, how the mass is distributed throughout the body. It could be a tiny point at the center of the earth. It could all be at the crest. You know, we don't know where it's located, you know, because all our equations about gravity essentially idealize it, treat it as a point. Right. So it could work if there is something very massive right in the middle of the earth. Um, you it could, could it could account for the measurements. Yes, it could yeah. account for what we know the mass. It could not allow Sims to walk around the inside of a curved entry and suddenly be walking on the inside of a concave Earth. Right. But there could be some kind of you know black hole or neutron star, some kind of white dwarf, some kind of stable, super heavy object in the center of a hollow Earth that would account for the pull we feel. Well, and Sims, uh, it wasn't just that he was his story of making this transit into the inner earth wasn't, I mean, if that, 
weren't confusing enough, he believed that there were other Earths inside the Earth, that the concentric Earths were also inhabitable. And it's not clear to me even still how Uh, you How do you get from one layer to another? Yeah, right. How I mean, once you went around the curve, you would then be in the sky of the other Earth and you would have a long way to fall before you hit the surface. I feel like Dante just takes the stairs when he's going from circle to circle. There's there's an infrastructure there, but it's hard to see how that would be true in Sims's thing. But he wanted to go, right? Like he actually thought this was an expedition that should be mounted. If... If, as I'm so sure, somehow there's a giant hole there, why aren't we going up and checking it out? That's right. He wanted to mount an exploration. He he stuck to this theory to his dying day. Um, he was widely ridiculed at the time. He printed up his initial kind of treatise on this subject and sent it around the world. He printed up 500 copies of it and sent it to every prince and city, legislature, governing body that he could it to was try a, and... It was a business plan. Like, I need 100 men, I need reindeer, I need <laughs> sleighs. We're going to start from Siberia in October. You know, he had a whole idea. He did. He was, I mean, like so many people, he believed that maybe this was the solution to his problem. Are you saying that John Cleve Simpson Jr. was a deeply broken man who was uh, just projecting, like he didn't want to deal with trouble at home? I mean, when you think about when you think about what it would take to sit in your armchair and stew over the fact that there was a 6,000 mile wide hole in the earth that you could enter and find a new, like perhaps happier land. Yeah, well, where, where is the hole really, John? Is it in your self-esteem? That's right. Is it in your family life? Is it in your childhood? It's like, somewhere in your childhood. Let's find the actual gaping hole of, of affection. Well, he actually got a uh, Congress. He wanted, he lobbied the U S government for funding, right? Yeah, and this was, I mean, in mid-19th century, there were a lot of amazing discoveries being made. Sure. It, it was an era of discovery and an era of, of great excitement, and there was still a lot of the earth that was unexplored. And even of our own continent, you know, America was the government that was like, yeah, let's check out what the frontiers are. And you heard, you heard stories. Uh, the Native Americans had numerous stories of caves in the Middle West where you could enter a cave and it would open up and suddenly it would be big enough for an entire tribe or caverns that led down where men would disappear and never return. And we do have some pretty good caves. You can see how these stories would start. There are some killer caves in the United States. Um, there, was also, there was also the story of Agartha which was a legendary kingdom at the Earth's core that had been, that was sort of a a French fantasy of the 18th century. I wonder how early it happens. Or 19th century, I'm sorry, during this period. I wonder how early it happens that it has to be inhabited, because that would not necessarily be true. There wouldn't necessarily be a society there. A a lot of them are, uh, a lot of these ideas of worlds inside our world are inhabited identically by... Mm -hmm. Uh, undiscovered animals and beautiful plants, luscious fruits, not always inhabited by, like, infrequently inhabited by hostile tribes. It's the same as the promise of the New World or the South Seas. Like, what kind of paradise with, uh, you know, lush crops and beautiful women and no work? Um, It's just a guy daydreaming at work, basically. Right. I mean, you imagine maybe that these that they're like Tahiti, right? Where they're, yeah. where the, the local inhabitants are topless and, and don't know about crime. It's just all about, it's all about breasts, basically. <laughs> like all these guys have no way to see breasts. And they're like, what if the earth is hollow? And therefore, with 100 men and reindeer, I get to see breasts. It's such, a, it's such an interesting sort of morph from 
the more traditional idea of under the earth being a place of demonic, Pain, yeah, yeah and, and, and evil burning. Um, even the the Icelandic tradition of the underworld was that it was full of dark elves. Well, they've got geysers shooting out of the ground. I, know, I mean, and today right? you can today you can heat your cities, but back then it must have just just been like, ah, the ground is going to spit boiling water at me. Like I'd <laughs> I'd believe in dark elves too. Sims actually got John Quincy Adams apparently on board. President Adams was sympathetic to his idea. Sympathetic, although did not 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 all the way to funding a government expedition. Well, clearly we know that Sims never got his expedition. Um, some accounts blame this on Adams only having a single term in office. You right. Know, that if the next election had gone differently, this is the big inflection point in our history, Sims would have got his money and his... But this jump-started a lot of real life, you know, even though the hole doesn't exist, spoilers, like this jump-started a real, a lot of real-life Arctic and Antarctic expeditions. Like maybe people would not have been as interested in going to the worst part of the world, least habitable part of the world, if there wasn't some central mystery, something that might be in the middle of it to discover. Yeah, there was always interest in exploring the southern reaches of the Arctic because people were looking for a Northwest Passage. Uh, there was always... Explorers were always trying to find a way to go around the major continents to the north. But not the furthest expanse. They want the closest shortcut. That's right. So there wasn't, well, I mean, there's no wealth to be found, presumably under the polar ice cap. But this was also the age of exploration. And I think you're absolutely right that, that the idea that Shangri-La might be shining through a hole in the ice, wouldn't that be a beautiful story that you'd follow the northern lights up there and then come upon a... It'd be like a casino. You'd look down into the hole and in there it's just like, da 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 Pretty hot. You know, a lot of the early fictional renderings have, in addition to kind of benevolent tribes living there, that there's also, you know, the idea that there's like throwback, you know, there's prehistoric animals. You know, in Jules Verne's Journey to the Center of the Earth, there's, uh, I think, kind of dinosaur type creatures. In the movie, it's just like geckos with Play-Doh crests on their backs. And then Edward Bulwer-Lytton, the man most famous in our day for coining the, the novel beginning, It Was a Dark and Stormy Night, anonymously wrote a book called The Coming Race about people called the Vril who lived below the earth. And I think they had mammoth type creatures. Um, and because he wrote this anonymously, many people believed this was an actual, some kind of occult document with real power. So, you know, Madame Blavatsky and the theosophists and all these people, you know, we're looking at this guy's pulp sci-fi novel as a source of religious truth and wondering, wow, how do we get to the the monsters and the the winged people at the center of the earth? I want to meet the Vril. Sure. It's a, the protocols of the elders of Zion, except of, uh, of D and D characters. Yeah, it's more harmless. Like if yeah. really, if really all of our kind of spurious texts were really more about like which plateau had, which kind of extinct prehistoric <laughs> creature. Aurochs. Yeah. Just think how much nicer we'd be to each other. If, and honestly, that's way more interesting than who controls the media. Like if you could either go to a plateau that had a dinosaur or find out who actually controlled the media, nobody is choosing the well, media. And that is what's nice about some of the hollow earth theories is that they tend to be utopian. And the proposals to go explore them tend to be altruistic or um, the proponents of these theories are not thinking that the... I'm going to uh, get mineral rights. Yeah, that, that we should send a military expedition to conquer the inhabitants of the inner world. So Sims dies and his son, Americus Sims, who uh, when Sims died, of course, he left his family 
without any visible means of support. What? Significantly <laughs> in debt. This does not sound like a guy who didn't have a job. Uh, no, he had a, you know, he was a successful military officer, but squandered his fortune promoting his idea of a concentric earth and or concentric yep. inner earths. As, as he grew older, his theory kind of, he tempered his theory a little bit. Initially he had, uh, there were a, uh, a multitude of inner earths. And then as he got older, he condensed that down until he, he was talking primarily about there being one earth inside of earth. He also had his portrait painted by John James Audubon at one point. And on the back, Audubon uh, noted that he was a good subject and called him the man with the hole at the pole. The man with the hole at the pole. So this guy had a nickname. Do you think he was the first person in America with a rhyming nickname? No, absolutely he was not. <laughs> I'm sure Andrew Jackson had 100, 100 rhyming names. Old, old Hickory, Hickory the Stickery. Hickory, <laughs> uh, Americus picked up his father's His son's uh, name torch. is Americus? Americus. And that, I, that's I, something that's gone out of style. I really wish among all the Bradens and Cadens and Jadens at my daughter's elementary school, that there was one Americus. It's hard to believe that there's not a lot of just like uh, these theoretically patriotic MAGA people. How come they're not naming their kids all like America? Uh, well, they, they're naming them all after guns. They may be. You have, are, are there really children named after guns? All my children are named after guns. <laughs> you have Smith, little, Jennings, and West. You know, <laughs> West you know, little, and little, little Walt. That's short for Walter PPK. He's got, he's got three middle initials. <laughs> Uh, Americus actually had a, a pylon erected to his father. I thought you were saying he got a pilot. Oh, he got a pilot greenlit. That's, he, that's amazing. He didn't get, he never got his pilot greenlit, although it's still, I mean, we could probably buy the rights. But he made a, he erected a pylon. I did. He did like a, like a statue for his father's work. No, no, you love your father, John. I do. You respect him. Did you ever erect a pylon to his work? I, I, so far my dad does not have a pylon. See, that's just sad. To but me. the thing is, he, but America's put up a pylon with a hollow globe on the top. What would I put up for my dad? Like a briefcase full of uh, assorted papers and little micro cassette recordings <laughs> of himself taking briefs. That is perfect that he put up a hollow globe. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if it's actually solid. That was a little just a little prank. No way to know. I guess you could, I guess you can knock on it, right? <laughs> no, it probably has a giant hole in the in the top and bottom, and a, an another another Earth tantalizingly visible on the inside. That does sound pretty good. Well, so uh, after the death of Sims. A man by the name of Cyrus Teed. These guys all sound like the fictional Americans in Sherlock Holmes or Agatha Christie works. Why in the hell are there not people named Cyrus Teed and John S and America Sims? If there was a guy named Cyrus Teed in this room right now, I would ask to see his sample case and I would buy some of his brushes or buggy whips or uh, tonics, whatever he had. <laughs> Cyrus Teed. Well, let me tell you what Cyrus Teed had. Yeah, what did he have in his sample case? Cyrus Teed had a theory of a hollow earth, but one where we were inside. Ah. Uh, it is a concave earth where we are inside of a sphere looking into the hollowness. Our, uh, our continents are on the inside. inner rim of a, of a sphere looking down, looking always toward the center and the universe, the center of the universe is actually at the core of our hollow world. All the stars and stuff we see are dotting, you know, are, as, as we move upward toward the center. Right. And you know, the interesting thing about this is topologically, it's essentially identical to our actual world, our actual cosmology, but just inside out. What that means is there's really no way to prove 
which way it goes. That's I mean, right. I mean, I mean, you could say, well, why does it take me? Why, well, then why does it take longer to get to Mars than it does to get to L.A.? And the answer might be, well, the laws of this universe are such that, you know. That the density of the center expands space-time. Speeds somehow slow down as we approach this infinitely dense center. Yeah, the the fascinating thing about Teed's theory is that you cannot distinguish it. And why would you even disprove it? I think it's true. Why would you try? The Nazis believed it was true. Is this jumping ahead? Well, uh, so this is uh, our Hitler reference for the day. Yeah, Adolf Hitler found this very compelling. And, um, who wouldn't, right. Who wouldn't, that's why he was making a bunker. He was trying to get out. He's trying to get out of the universe. He was trying to, <laughs> was to, trying to go the other way. He's trying right? to escape. <laughs> every time you dig a hole, you're actually like, you're, you risk, you risk popping the balloon. Yeah. Every time, you know, every time Hitler closes a door, he, he opens a window. Do you have some Nazi trivia about their belief in the doctrines of, of Teed? So the thing is when you get into this kind of stuff, it all becomes horribly, uh, unreliable. Mm. You know, it's these mimeographed things that got passed around from weirdos to generation to generation. And you have, you'll have diary pages from uh, Admiral Byrd saying that, uh, as he was crossing the Arctic, UFOs took him down into the, you know, it's an actual journal page purporting to be Admiral Byrd taken underground by the hollow earth people at the Arctic. And of course this never happened. I think the dates are even wrong on this purported document. It says 1947. But there's, to this day, there's tons of people who believe that there's this document where Admiral Byrd gets sucked under, he gets sucked into the hole at the pole and he says, you know, do you come from a land down under? <laughs> and they all say, well, yes, we do. <laughs> Women glow and men plunder. Um, so the, I don't know if I can, you know, I don't know about the veracity of the Nazi story, but the idea is that uh, a Nazi for, uh, you know, a German military force is sent to this island, I believe, called Rügen. Is Rügen an island in this story? Uh, yes, it's Germany's largest island. It's located off the Pomeranian coast. So they go to this Balkan island, and one of the things they want to try is see if they can aim infrared beams up. Right. Upward. Up. If, if that will let you, you know, because ships crossing the horizon in this world are not coming up and over. They're, they're, they're going <laughs> up and around. They're sliding the down. Top. They're sliding <laughs> down, right? So by shooting infrared beams upward, that's maybe that's how radar is going to work. We're going to be able to detect British ships before we can see them. Above us. By pointing upward because they're, they're coming down. But again, if the, universe, if the laws of that inner universe are consistent. Then the infrared beams are knocking. They're going to travel circularly. So enough people believed in the ideas promulgated by Cyrus Teed that they formed what would essentially be considered, I guess, a religion called Koreshanity. And they formed a utopian community called the Koreshan Unity. Now, this is to be distinguished from David Koresh and his slightly less utopian cult community. And I actually don't know this. Is uh, This is the original use of Koresh for a religious cult? Because it comes from Cyrus, right? Mm-hmm. It's what the Greeks or I guess the Persians would have called Cyrus the Great. So does that mean David Koresh got his, because his name was not David Koresh, it was Vernon Wayne Howell. I, it never occurred to me that David Koresh, I don't think Koresh was a, a practiced Koreshanity <laughs> but would he have, But would he have known that there was a pre-existing American uh, apocalypse cult, essentially, with the name of Koresh? <laughs> oh, if only he had survived, we could ask him now. <laughs> I wish he were here today. Uh, Cyrus actually started, like, uh, groups. There was one, he formed a uh, Koreshian group in Moravia. Hey. 
Uh, wait, wait, a little bit of a callback. Wait, Moravia in Europe or like Moravia, Pennsylvania? Or no, something? Moravia in Europe. Oh, he, this is an international. Uh, it is. There was a community in San Francisco and in New York. There were communities dotted around all over, and eventually to a town called Estero in Florida, where he, in the late late nineteenth century, proclaimed a new Jerusalem. And Estero, Florida is the New Jerusalem? Uh, well, I'm afraid so. Or Who it knew? Was. It was until like 1908, but it was a short-lived Jerusalem. Uh, I'm a Mormon. I'm pretty convinced the New Jerusalem <laughs> is either Missouri or Utah. <laughs> I don't like this kind of wackadoodle idea that I might be Florida when clearly no, it's, it's Utah clearly or Missouri. Orem. It's, yeah. I don't, this, this is self-evident <laughs> to me. Um, I, I looked it up and actually the Moravia is a town in New York. I'm sorry. No, really? Yeah. It's always upstate New York where these weirdos are setting up their, oh, their sex farms. boo. Well, it, so this, the Koreshans were, it turned out, did turn into a sex farm. Um, <laughs> there were three levels of, of Koreshan membership. One of them were people who didn't fully believe in the, in the universe, but were willing to like schlep the lumber. I guess, like why, help. Why would you come if you weren't even a believer? <laughs> well, uh, because so maybe you, the Koreshans paid well. You were, you know, you were allowed to uh, be part of the sex cult, I guess. Yeah, um, if there's privileges, I guess. Yeah, well, I, the, the problem with this sex cult is it it works opposite of most, which is the further up you get, uh, the less sex you're allowed to have. I think the people that actually, that's, actually true, of, that's, that's true of life as well. I think sadly I mean, in, in terms of age, at least yeah. maybe not salary. <laughs> Definitely not salary. Have you always wanted to learn to play an instrument? Maybe you've even tried at some point, but gave up because you felt lessons were too expensive or that you just didn't have the time. Thankfully there's musician. Musician is the fun, easy and affordable way to learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, and even singing. Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musician gives you 24-7 access to a vast catalog of video lessons from professionally trained educators, as well as thousands of exercises and songs across dozens of music genres, all tailored to your goals. And with Musician's award-winning technology that listens to you play, you'll get real-time feedback on timing and accuracy so you can actually see yourself improving as you learn. Start your extended 14-day free trial of Musician's Premium Plus package at musician.com start. That's unlimited access to thousands of lessons, exercises, and songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. Just go to musician.com slash start. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash start. So, so, so Teed was some kind of uh, virgin just alone having his, his mystical visions? Yeah, Teed was like Bo Peep or whatever, the ones that uh, cut off their cut off their wee-wees and put on matching shoes to follow Halley's Comet. Bo Peep. Oh, I see. You're talking about the ones in the, uh, uh, the, the, the Heaven's Gate? Heaven's Gate, right. He, that, the leader of Heaven's yeah, Gate his called name himself Bo Peep, didn't he? Bo Derek? No. He was just known as Bo or Doe. No, it was Bo and Peep, right? It, he and his partner. <laughs> 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 That's right. There, yeah. was a, there was a Bo and a Peep. A Bo That's and a Peep. correct. That's when you know that your sex cult... Um, is maybe one of the fake ones. Yeah. If they're, if their names are like, if they're trolling you on purpose with their cult nicknames, right? I mean, generally if I was in a sex cult and they asked me to be castrated, I would, I would start to doubt the cult at that point. I mean, if they had a sweet name like Cyrus or Koresh, I'd be like, well, mm-hmm. okay, I guess cut them off. But if, the, if they're named Bo and Peep, I'm not, I'm not making any life changing decisions based on two guys named Bo and Peep. Right. Well, and I think Peep wasn't a guy even. 
Oh, is that right? Yeah, it's Mr. Peep. Bo and Ms. Peep. Ms. Peep. But anyway, the Koreshans, their their community died out primarily because they were uh, the the highest levels of them. Uh, they were celibate, so they weren't reproducing. This is a bad, bad look for a cult. It was the shaker problem. And the last remaining Koreshan was someone who had fled the Nazis. At Wait, the, the Koreshans uh, lasted into the mid 20th century. They did. And, uh, in Estero? Uh, a woman by the name of Hedwig Michelle, who, uh, who had learned about the Koreshan beliefs while in Germany and then fled the Nazis, donated some land in Florida to the state of Florida, which still exists now as the Koreshan State Park. I highly recommend that you visit it. It has the Koreshan cemeteries there. That's the best case scenario if you're, your sex cult actually leads to a nice public park. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I hope to one day go to Ken State Park. Cyrus Teed was buried uh, on Astero Island until a hurricane washed his coffin out to sea when the, his tomb was destroyed. So he's still wandering the earth. Maybe he, well, got, maybe he got washed into the hole. All you have to do is look straight up into the sky <laughs> and through the universe and you'll see him on oh, the other right. side. That's right. He doesn't believe in a hole. That's right. That's right. Well, fast forward to the present day, you know, flat earth. Uh, theories are it's back, baby. super popular now, um, but there have continued to be hollow earth theories, but hollow earth theories where it isn't a utopia that's inside the earth. It is UFOs. Aliens um, are inside the earth? Aliens are living inside the earth. Oh, and that's where they come from. They're not coming from space. They've been here all along. That's right. They are a technologically advanced society that has portals where they escape and come uh, monkey around with us, monkey business. Monkey with our cattle, monkey with our crops, mm -hmm. monkey with our farmer's wives. And again, this is impossible. Monkey with our anuses. <laughs> impossible to disprove Well, is as, it? <laughs> as long as you are uh, willing to accept a few, a few uh, dream states, a few dreamlike qualities. Um, it makes sense that if somebody, if some weird little guys are appearing and poking and probing you while you sleep, like what's more likely that they come from just a few miles below your feet or that they come from, you know, hundreds of millions of miles up into the blackness? Like, I think it's more likely they were here all along. We think of, uh, of, uh, the UFO story as, I mean, because there's so much sort of revisionist look at, uh, at, tr at ancient stories to try and figure out like the ancient aliens idea that, that they've been visiting us for years. But until we had powered flight, that wasn't a notion that had ever occurred to anybody that, uh, that there were men on the moon. No. Uh, I mean, to this day, the deepest we've ever bored into the earth was about seven and a half miles, the Kola super deep borehole in Siberia, Soviet project. So sorry, sorry, a Soviet project. Soviet uh, borehole. <laughs> a Soviet borehole. Soviet borehole. There's your band name. Oh, uh, Soviet borehole, which uh, is, yeah, right. 12,000 meters, this, the borehole. Yeah, seven and a half miles down. That's like only a third of the way through the crust. Really, it could be anything. And it's probably not nothing. I mean, we can tell by the way that um, P and S waves from earthquakes uh, propagate. Seismic stations make it seem very much like they're not just going outward through a very thin crust, like the shell of an M&M. You know, it really does feel like they're going through something solid and dense down there. But, you know, the, the Mariana Trench is 10,000 meters deep. So it's 
Like we have experience. Being uh, underwater seems different to me than being under rock. It's super, it's super different, but there's, you know, there are also theories, of course, that UFOs live in the Mariana at the, Trench at the bottom of the sea. I only see those in James, these theories in James Cameron movies. I was, I was on a ship one time and I was invited up to the bridge uh, with a small group of people and the captain was giving us a tour and he was a man in his late sixties and kind of, he had a little bit of Rosicrucia on his nose that suggested maybe that he'd been hitting the rum over the years, but he was definitely the captain of this boat. All of the crew, all the other officers and stuff were all sort of at attention the entire time as he kind of toured us around I the think bridge. promotion is just based on who has the most Rosicrucia. Well, for sure. If you're a sea captain, <laughs> my goodness, it made me realize like, oh boy, I should have been a sea captain, not for the alcoholism, but just because you don't have to stay in shape. <laughs> Uh, but as we're walking around, you know, he was like, any questions? And every, nobody kn knows what to ask a sea captain. You know, what do you say? Like, uh, how fast does it go? Or, you know, it's just, it's a, a giant ship, right? And so I said, what's the weirdest thing you've ever seen on the ocean? Out on the deeps. And all of the crew got really uncomfortable. And he said, I've seen some things. And he talked about seeing lights under the water in the night and then a ship rise up out of the sea and shoot off into the sky. Well. Well, as you can imagine, you could hear a pin drop. And his, As everyone realized that a crazy man was <laughs> navigating the vessel on which your lives depended? His, his first mate or like first officer was very much like trying to hustle <laughs> us off the bridge. But he, but the captain was thrilled to have been asked and like told a very colorful and like detailed story about this. And, uh, so there's two scenarios here. One is that the mate knows that the captain is insane and does not want the passengers to know. The second is that the mate is appalled that the captain has announced this secret of the sea is to, revealing a secret of the to sea. non initiates That's like right. you. Did the captain later suspiciously fall overboard that night and was never heard from again? Uh, I've never heard from him again. He doesn't respond to my emails or ever, ever call me back. Well, there you go. I was like, Captain. That's the cover up. I said, Captain. He said, what? I don't know what that's a reference to. <laughs> that's, a, that's a Captain Sensible song. Captain Sensible being the guitar player of The Damned. Oh. He had a very minor hit in the early 80s. It's called What? He said, Captain. I said, what? He said, Captain. I said, what? So it's W-H-A-T? W-O-T question. Oh, uh, so they're British. Walt, yes. And the premise of the uh, song is that when you, you, when you call for the captain, he will say what? What? That's the yeah, And that doesn't seem song. that noteworthy. I feel like <laughs> most people, if you say their name, will say what or, Walt? Some, or something like it. What? What? I'll play the song for you. All right. Well, let me ask you this. Now that we're, we're both up to speed on the many theories of what lies beneath our planet, I want to ask you, what, what do you believe? Are you convinced that the earth is indeed hollow and or populated by supermen? I love the idea of the cola super deep borehole. You know, they were the, the Soviets started drilling. Those are, those are just Russians with soul. Russians <laughs> who listen to a lot of uh, Tamla records. That's right. They started drilling their borehole in response to an American attempt to drill a deep borehole, which was called the mohole. Right, because it would go to the moho, the Mohorovichik 
discontinuity that divides the Earth's crust from its mantle. And this is like, uh, this is exactly the kind of, there, there are no more places on Earth to explore, supposedly, but why not start exploring like how deep a hole you can dig? Why go to Soho when you can go to the Moho? Go to Moho. It's just so, that's just, that absolutely acquits with how I would respond, how I do respond to things like, well, let's see what, what, what would happen if I dug a hole into it's it. It's true. There's no question I've ever asked you where you have not said it first. Well, what if we just went outside and dug a deep hole? Well, sure. Well, It's what, confusing to me. Uh, like, I love your new car. Can I drill a hole in it? <laughs> uh, let's see what's in it. And, you know, there, like, there are lots of, we've dug lots of holes in the earth. We've dug longer holes than the Cola Super Deep Bore Hole. What do you mean longer? Like uh, covering a, like a longer trench? Well, because- the Panama Canal count? Well, a lot of the, no, uh, but a lot of the, it's not a hole, it's a canal. It's a, a, a it's a man and a plan and a canal. <laughs> Can it be a hole and a canal? Like what makes a hole? A hole is- There used to be dirt there, now there's not. It's a hole. Well, there's a difference between an isthmus and a peninsula. That's true, but right? not particularly relevant. <laughs> <laughs> well, because when you're, when you're digging for oil, a lot of the time you dig at an angle. Hmm. So, and especially if you don't control the ground right. above the oil. It's somebody else's milkshake. Yeah. You start over here and run that long, long, long pipe. I can't believe that's legal. Down how how come over. my land rights don't go straight to the center of the earth at an angle perpendicular to, uh to the surface. Well, that is something to take up with the Koreshans or with the Simsians. I think my, my house, my yard, I should own everything down below it, extending to a point at the center of the earth. And if the earth is hollow, then I own some portion of the, uh, of the hollow earth. Well, this happens all the time in the United States where you will own the, own everything from the surface up, but not control the mineral rights. Yeah. And, um, because of who wrote the laws. Yeah, that seems like a really, that that's seems the, a, like a real trickaroo, doesn't it? That's the big companies trying to control the hollow earth. That's the elders of Zion right there. I'll tell you what, I do not believe that there are smaller earths rotating within our earth that you can access through a hole. I'm afraid I've read all, I've read as much of the literature as I can. And that seems even less likely than that Pluto and Persephone are sitting there with their Cerebrus three-headed dog and, e e and eating pomegranates. Yeah, seeds. and presiding over a kind of like dark and steamy, but otherwise more or less benign diamond mine. And that concludes The Hollow Earth, entry 593.jb2607, certificate number 19429, in the omnibus. Futurelings, you may be laughing at us right now because you are residents of the hollow earth and you're annoyed that we did not believe in you in our time just because we couldn't find the hole. There doesn't have to be a hole, right? I mean, as long as they've got some kind of self-sufficient energy source down there. Uh, the lack of a hole doesn't prove there's no hollow earth. Well, I think you would need some kind of venting, right? I mean, you couldn't just have... I mean, although we're, we may be speaking to you from one of the concentric Earths, there might be a bigger one above us. Not not a concave Earth, but we could just be like... If there is, it looks just like the night sky on the inside and it has chemtrails. But we probably think that's not true, that you live on the surface of the Earth just like us. We don't know what's happened to it. Whatever awful thing has happened to it has surely been a result of the pernicious effects of social media 
But boy, in our time, we loved it. We were Omnibus Project on every platform you can think of and some that haven't been invented yet. I was at Ken Jennings on Twitter, which ruined my life. Mm. John was at John Roderick, three syllables. Destroyed me as well. Is that right? On Instagram? Oh, I am that. I am John Roderick in all media. So, you know, we were both lucky. We were early enough adopters that you don't have to be Ken Jennings 42 or Ken Jennings, the real Ken Jennings or Ken Jennings loves bacon or whatever. You're just Ken Jennings and I'm just John Roderick. We got there in time. Except in my case, it was actually just like privilege. I did not want to be on Twitter. And somebody at Twitter grabbed my name and emailed me, hey, if you ever want Twitter, I grabbed your name. And I, for- and I forgot about it. So later I started the real Ken Jennings or whatever. And Dave emailed me and he's like, what do you mean? I got your, I still have your name. And so I, I switched over. So wait, are there some, I did not do it on merit. Are there some funny tweets at the real Ken Jennings that are just lying there dormant? No, they weren't really funny. It only lasted a couple. I I was not, I didn't realize Twitter was for jokes for a long time. Right. You were just like, Hey, watch my appearance on this show. I'm going to be on a game show. Uh, people could email us at omnibusproject at howstuffworks.com. Wasn't that lucky of us to be the first people at howstuffworks to want to own the email inbox omnibus project? I don't want to give away your email address, but is it a similar thing where you got into the Ken Jennings space early enough? I don't want to say anything about my particular email address, but in general, yes, any famous person you can think of, they just own their name at some super popular domain. So just start writing to like Tom Cruise at AOL.com. Just do it. See what happens. He's totally going to, even if he doesn't reply, he totally read it. (laughs) Hey, Tom loved big. (laughs) You like Tom Cruise in, in, uh, in big. Oh, Tom Cruise. He was, I mean, (laughs) I, I loved big so much that I became a Tom Cruise fan. He did all his own stunts. He jumped out of the plane in big. Mm -hmm. He actually became a child. He was the, I mean, I followed him from the beginning from bosom buddies on. (laughs) Uh, what did I not say? Oh, you uh, should go to our Futurelinks Facebook page. You should go to Facebook for only one thing, which is to see how the Futurelinks live and interbreed and interreact there. That's a fun little Petri dish right? Also to peer to, into. To just peer into the lives of the people in high school that you loved and the ones that you hated. No, stay away from them. Oh, okay. Right. Don't do that. I mean, Unfortunately, if- I'm just old enough that the people that are on Facebook from my high school are not all the ones I would, I would care about. Like I go on sometimes and say like, whatever happened to person X? Well, what happened to them is that they're too old to be on Facebook. The, yeah. The, well, the age of Facebook is actually rising. So, you know, by the time we hear like Facebook's only your mom's friends right now. Oh. And by the time people are listening to this, it will just be their great, great grandparents friends who are still like, <laughs> <laughs> who are still alive and on Facebook from beyond the grave, because there's definitely going to be services that take over your social media accounts when you die. Oh, for sure. Well, you don't want them to be orphaned. Your, uh, your, your AI, the AI of Ken Jennings that is self-aware and thinks it's the real Ken Jennings. It'll just read all my tweets and it'll be like, oh, I can tweet like this. I'm and a funny guy. It can generate unlimited tweets in my style all day. I mean, it's probably our listeners, futurelings are probably just the multiplicity of AIs of you and me. <laughs> Who are just listening to themselves. Because who else would want to hear this show, right? <laughs> like, these guys are so funny, our, our future avatars think. <laughs> One million Ken Jenningses are all arguing with each other. Uh, well, you know what they say, a million Ken Jenningses can't be wrong. A million Ken Jenningses in front of a million typewriters created Omnibus. 
If you want to send us physical artifacts, perhaps proof of the existence of the hollow earth, either mathematical proofs you've written yourselves or, or uh, you know, relics you've brought back on your expeditions, send them to John Roderick, Hollow Earth Skeptic, P.O. Box 55744, uh, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. We didn't get to whether or not you believe in a hollow earth. I'm not, you know, I don't know enough about Mormonism to know where a hollow earth plays into it. It's one of the crucial beliefs. Is it? It's like, don't drink coffee because <laughs> that might cripple your ability to enter the hollow earth. <laughs> Like that's, that's what's at the basis of, of everything. Is it like a door in Orem? Like uh, in the basement of a, of a, like a VFW hall? That's yeah. That's where the earth's navel is. I'm sorry to be revealing all of the great secrets, the secrets of Zion here. The earth's navel is the, uh, is Temple Square in Salt Lake City. And from there you <laughs> Well, can, that's why you, that's why Gentiles can't go in. Right. They'd see the, they'd see the giant hole into oh, the hollow earth. I stood there and peered in the door and someone in a white robe came and shepherded me away. Handed me some key lime pie. That was said, an angel. Said, move on, move along. They really had pie for the gawkers? Yeah. That just yeah, yeah. encourages more gawkers. <laughs> well, no, it was like a distraction pie. They were like, check it out, over here. And I was like, huh, what? When I do my distraction duty to keep away the gawkers, I never give them pie. Oh, it must have been like just a really cool angel and not one of you fallen angels. Which uh, which Osmonds, Which Osmonds have you seen lately? Like almost none of them, right? I, you know, there were all those Osmonds. Osmonds. Os- <laughs> and uh, and where are they now? Right. The I mean, ho- I know- they're in the Hollow Earth. That's where. That's the only place where seventies variety shows uh, still continue. So why are Donnie and Marie still out walking the earth, walking walking among us? They are uh, heretics. Mm. They've escaped. I guess. I don't know. the 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 hole comes for us all. Well, Donnie and Marie, from our vantage point in your distant past. Wait, we're addressing the show to Donnie and Marina? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. I'm assuming that I'm assuming now that Futurelings are just the the spawn of Donnie and Marie, Donnie, all of whom are named Donnie or Marie. Donnie and Marie are not in the Hollow Earth because Hawaiian Punch is not available <laughs> below. What about uh, Crystal Light? I bet it is. I bet there's Crystal Light down there. Aspartame uh, grows in crystals under the Earth. Mm-hmm. That's why it's called Crystal Light. Well, listen, Donnies and Maries, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. Both Ken and I hope that the end comes soon. But if that catastrophe does not come, uh, this recording, like all our recordings, may last forever. And we may be stuck in a purgatory doing this show until until the world ends, wow. right? I mean, until we are cast upon the no, until our burning deaths. fires there in Jerusalem. If, if, if the earth survives us, we will do the show until our natural deaths. And oh, I, I will, I will almost certainly outlive you, which means I will replace you. With, How uh, can you say that, that with any certainty? Because you have all these daredevil-like hobbies. Right. You're always jumping over canyons on rocket cycles. Yeah, but maybe one of those, maybe I will go through a portal and, and achieve immortality. You never know. I mean, you're just sort of stuck in your, like, normalcy. But I, I have the potential of discovering a fountain of youth every moment, every time I walk out the door. It could happen. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm not convinced that you believe it could happen. I think you think I'm going to die first. I think you just don't know where you are in the outro. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be just one more recording that we do on our way on our slow march to death. But if Providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. Omnibus.